0: to be announced, John, John's Gospel, John chapter 1. My favorite book of the Bible, John. When I became a born-again Christian, I know that's redundant, but when I be, became a born-again Christian, an old man mentored me in the faith. I had two old men mentor me in the faith. Um, One Baptist, one Presbyterian. The Presbyterian gave me my first Bible and back home I'm called Jack. He said, Jack, what I want you to do, because I had not read the Bible, he said, I want you to read the Gospels over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when I tell you, you can move on (laughs) to uh, Romans and Acts and so on. And I I think that first year I was a Christian, I must have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 40 or 50 times. And I, I love the gospel i love all of the bible but the gospel of john is my favorite god the holy spirit used a section from john chapter 10 to convert me in a truck in boston in in um in the winter Uh, but john's gospel john chapter one i'm going to read one through 18 hear the word of god in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we've all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great mystery. We're thankful, Almighty God, that you've given us the gift of faith, that you have subdued our enmity, our warfare against you. And Lord, you have forever reconciled your account against us, and you are at peace with us. And you are our Father, and we are your children. We pray that we would rightly remember the, um, the birth of your Son, the Incarnation, Lord of the second person of the Godhead that we would know you Jesus Christ savingly we would know your person we would know your purpose why you have come and we would be radically transformed and we would live lives we would live above what the ordinary natural person is able to live like may we love you may we love people may we fight against sin and may we especially long for um, as we consider the first coming may we long for your second coming jesus christ as you came the first time you certainly will come the second time and this time not as a baby in a manger but as a ruling conquering glorious uh, king and we bow our knee before you help me in the preaching help us in the receiving glorify thy name in all the earth we pray in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen My purpose is somewhat of a topical. I'm not a topical preacher by practice. By practice, I work through a series, and expository series, whether it's good or bad exposition, is only God knows. But it is a topical sermon. There's a lot here. I'm not intending to um, unpack what I can find here. We would be here for a couple of weeks, I think. Um, but we're, I, I, there's a particular purpose uh, in, in view of why we've ch- chosen this text. And, of course, you could guess why I chose this particular text. You might think I would have done better if I chose either uh, Matthew or Luke with the the, um, the account of the virgin birth, but I chose this one. But So, so I would say probably the better part of—would I say the professing Christian world? Yeah, I think the better part of the professing Christian world would this day, in some way or another— be commemorating uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, um, 25th of uh, September, uh, December uh, being s- celebrated as so-called um, Christmas. And uh, I think there are some Christians, though, who um, celebrate um, Christmas, the birth of Christ, on January 6th. I think the Ar- Armenian, I don't want to say Armenian in a Calvinist church, but Armenians, I think the Armenian church celebrates on January uh, 6th. Um, I I used to know there were various theologians from, I want to say, the 200s to 400s that would argue over the exact um, month and and date that Christ was uh, born. And I think it was codified, so-called codified in the 400s, but from 200 to 400, there were various dates being kicked around. You have the 25th uh, of December, January 6th, I think you have August 21st, August 28th. Then you have April uh, 21st and 20th. So there have been various dates. And um, I used to know why the consensus of the church chose uh, the 25th, but I've forgotten. I'm 58. I've been here, I guess, 21 years. And I'm like John Newton. My memory's fading. I I know Jesus is a great Savior and I'm a great sinner. But those other minor points, uh, I don't retain them anymore. I don't know why they chose it. Um, the Bible does, I do know this, the Bible actually doesn't say um, what month Jesus was born in, the Bible doesn't actually say what day Jesus came into the world, but the Bible does tell us what we looked at on Christmas Eve, Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1, the Bible does tell us that angels came announcing the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherds, and they, they, they came to him by night, they came to to Mary and Joseph, and there was no room in the inn. The Bible does tell us that. Jesus was born in a manger, in a stall, a cattle stall. And the Bible does tell us that Christ came through the womb of the Virgin Mary, as we said, uh, born of him yet without any sin. Miraculously, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary. Christ was conceived without human uh, conception and, and uh, without a male And he was born of her without sin, so that he would be the sinless Lamb of God. The Bible does tell us those facts. So as far as the month and the date, the Bible doesn't tell us about that. The Bible does record for us, I know in your creche at the house, the creche is the little nativity scene, It will have the three wise men. I don't know what they are. I used to know Malchus, whatever, (laughs) Calvinicus. Um, That wise men came. That's actually not accurate. If you look in the Bible, the wise men didn't come at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ with with the shepherds. They came later. The Bible will say that the wise men came to the home of the Virgin Mary, uh, not to the stable or the stall. So it was after, and he's called the holy child there, but the Bible does tell us that those, when those wise men from the East that were led supernaturally to, 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 to the coming King Christ, that they presented him with presents, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, expensive things. Um, and so they gave gifts to King Christ. Christ was a king at his um, conception. He was a king at his birth, and he's a king right now. So he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. So there was a great celebration surrounding uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true. And I'm just going to say it as a as side. People gave gifts to him. I'm not picking on giving gifts to your kids, or your wife, or your husband, and we can enjoy those kind of things. But they gave gifts uh, to him. So I, I would argue, as regards to looking at the birth of Christ, the when question, the when Christ was born is not the most important question. Um, People are feisty critters, um, and even in Christ, we can be feisty critters. We like to divide, subdivide, super-subdivide, and fight with other Christians over things. If it's not in the Bible, I'm not fighting with anybody, and the longer I live, the less I like fighting with anybody anyways. If you want to talk about something in the Bible, I love to talk about things in the Bible. But I don't like to fight about things that are not in the Bible. Um, The Bible actually doesn't tell us the when exactly. The larger question, which we should be more concerned with, because as far as any religious truth, doctrine, or religious practice, the Bible commends us to be good Bereans, to go to the Bible, to prove everything from Scripture. What's going on here? What am I supposed to believe about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? What practice does God require me to engage in, or what practice does he uh, forbid me to engage in? So we go to the Bible. And so when we go to the Bible, the Bible does tell us that Christ was born, The more important question is who Jesus Christ is and why he has come, what what he's come to do. I mentioned in Sunday school, everybody in their house cat can say, I believe in Jesus, and they do. Everybody right now is a Christian hugging Santa and all those things. But the larger question is, who is this Jesus that you believe? And, And why did Jesus Christ come? The Bible does speak to that. So when we're coming here, it would be a sad thing if the extent of our Christian faith would be what the culture teaches us about this particular day. We would never get close to that. But the Bible does teach us the larger truth for which we should give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not to merit, but we should give our lives as a thank offering. This is where the Dutch have it right. Guilt, grace, Gratitude. It starts with a fall and then we are redeemed in Christ and then we live a life out of out of gratitude. And so the Bible does tell us that Christ has come. He's the sinless sacrifice and, and he has saved us from our sins and he's going to come again and we should live every day. It's not I, everyone has family that we love and sometimes we have family we don't love. I love all my family and no one's a believer, and they're all wishing me Merry Christmas, and I wish him Happy Lord's Day, and I tell them that I love them, because I do. The greatest gift for which we should say, Happy Lord's Day, Happy Lord's Day, on Easter, another day, which I, that would be another study, if we say, He is risen. I think every day of the believer, based on the Bible, we can say, He's born, He's risen, every day. Every day should be a Christmas. Every day should be Easter, as it were, for the believer. That God has sent his only son to die for us. That we would be redeemed from sin and joined to him. So it's not, as they say, we give presents. uh, He gives us the present. So, again, let's not be fighting kind of Christians. Don't fight with people about stuff that's not in the Bible. Don't waste your time. There's lots more important ways to use your time. But the Bible does tell us. And so when we come here to John's Gospel, uh, the two of the synoptics, the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke. Two of them have the birth of Jesus through, uh, through the Virgin. Um, uh, Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. Mark, Mark's Gospel doesn't have the nativity account. Mark's Gospel begins, obviously, in chapter 1 with the adult Jesus in his ministry already. But Matthew 1 and Luke 2 do record um, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and through, through uh, Mary, Mary. And for Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, and you know this if you've looked at this, they list exten- both of them list uh, extensive genealogies, looking at it from a different point of view. And this is in a sermon on gen- the genealogical record of Jesus. But both of those writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to trace out the genealogy of Jesus in order to prove that he is the What? He's the Christ. So when we're talking about this day to commemorate the birth of Jesus, we want to know who he is. And the Bible will tell us that he's the Christ. Well, what does that mean? Is it like John Shortman? No, Christ is not the last name. And I know you think, well, Pastor, I've been raised in the church. I believe that. I looked at a study the other day that said we're fast becoming a post-Christian nation. I meet people. I have personally ministered to folks that have never read the Bible. And I personally worked through... John's gospel, never heard of John, the fellow I was with, never heard of John, never heard that the word became flesh and the word was, never heard this. Never went to church. Actually, never saw anybody in his family ever get married in a church. Never. And you think, well, are are we in Zimbabwe? Oh, no. We're worse than Zimbabwe. So we live in increasingly scripturally, I would say, illiterate, and maybe even ignorant. I don't mean that as a pejorative; just folks don't know. And so, when we're coming at the genealogical records, and he we begat from here, begat from here, and what what he what the what the Holy Spirit is keen to say is, He is the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, and every every Jew would have said that's the Christ to come. Remember how the Bible opens in in, in uh, Genesis chapter three with the fall. And I'm going to send the Messiah, the seed of the wo- woman. Well, women don't have seeds. It's an allusion to the virgin birth. And I could have read as a couplet to our passage, Isaiah chapter 7, and the virgin shall be with what? Virgins don't have babies. Unless God the Holy Spirit works a miracle and they have a baby. Elizabeth, who's, who is beyond childbearing age, she's already entered into menopause. Women who have entered into menopause don't have babies. Unless God the Holy Spirit works in them and so when we're looking at the coming of Jesus he's be, we're being told he is the seed of the woman he, he he is the promised messiah from the first book of the bible God has made good in his word people don't make good in our words I mean you you know this even the most, most well meaning people we say well I, I promise son I promise daughter I promise wife how many people start off their marriage career and say I promise I promise and two minutes in Two minutes in, all that's all she wrote. We're off and running. But when God says something, you can live on that word. Every word that God says will come true. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the gospel writers say there he is. God has made good in His word. We live in an anti Bible society. I know that for a fact. So you, you live out there, they're going to say, Oh, Bible. Oh, you believe in the Bible? It's like a comic book. You don't really believe the Bible. It's so narrow-minded and a mean, bigoted God and you don't want to be considered narrow-minded, right? And there's filled with so many mistakes. Don't believe that for a second, beloved. Believe the Bible. The Bible is filled with prophecies in the old that come true in the new that could never have come to pass unless the Bible was the very word of God. And so God says, I'm making good of my word. What I told you in the garden, here he is. And he's the seed of Abraham. This is the Genesis 15, the Genesis 17, the Genesis 12. In... Abraham's seed, how many families of the earth shall be blessed? This is the coming of Jesus, all of the families of the earth, Jew, Gentile, free, slave, black, white, rich, poor, all of the families of the earth. When you want to talk present, it's God who gives us a present for our little corner of the world, for what we look like or sound like, oh no, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation in this one. So he's the seed of Abraham. And then the, the genealogical records in Matthew and Luke say he is the seed of David. And for us who are raised Gentiles, I was raised a Gentile, obviously Gentiles and non-Jew. We're like, you know, even with the Bible. Well, what does that mean? It's messianic. Seed of David is messianic. What is this, 2 oh, Samuel 7? 2 Samuel 7. God says this to David, after you're dead, I'm going to raise up one from your loins and his kingdom will be for What? Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, forever. He's the Messiah. This is the Isaiah 7. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the child that's been born to us. He's going to end all wars. And men will beat their spears and their swords into what? Plowshares and study war what? No more. That's this. So those two records were to tell the Jews... The Christ has come. The Bible, properly understood, was never a set of do's and don'ts to go from being bad to go to, to being good. It's just not possible. The wages of sin is death, and we're all dead in our sins and in our trespasses. You can't do enough good works. We can't do any good works apart from the grace of God in Christ. It was always, from the very first book of the Bible, it's always about Christ is coming. Christ is, it was always that. I think it was Jesus said, Abraham, looked forward to my day. He saw it and he was what? He was glad. And what did the Jews do when Jesus said, Abraham saw me by faith? They picked up stones to do what to him? To kill him. Because they said, you're making yourself out to be Jehovah come in the flesh. He said, here I am. Abraham believed in Christ. Moses believed in Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, David believed in Christ. Psalm 19, Psalm 110. And the Lord said to my Lord, It was always about Christ. And Jesus, on the Emmaus Road, told his disciples, he said, you slow of faith, you foolish men, don't you know what the prophets were writing about? Here I am. So when we're coming to this day, it's not just just the crash scene. I mean, forget about Jingle Bells and Santa. Forget that stuff. It's not just that. It's the entire Bible. The the promise that God will send the Redeemer in for us, that rather than being driven away from the paradise of God, we can be welcomed into the paradise of God. That's what this is about. And there's a record in it. And someone says, well, I'm from Missouri. I'm from the Show show Me State. I want to see. I want the video. You're going to wait too long. God doesn't give you a video. He gives you a book. And if you don't want the book of God, you're going to wait too long. Remember, there was a rich guy, and there was a guy named Lazarus. And they both died. It happens to rich and poor alike. Unbeliever and believer alike. You can say, I don't believe a word you say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Because someday you're going to find out when you die, because we all die. Well, that guy was right. Jesus is the Christ. And if we disregard what this book says, we go with the rich man. And the rich man said to Jesus, I think it's a picture, pictured as Abraham, send someone back, send someone to my brother's. Jesus says, well, if they don't listen to the Bible, they're not going to listen to someone come back from the dead. So the Bible is true. And so when we come to this day, we're driven back to the Bible. This isn't extra Bible. This is Bible. And I chose John's gospel for a reason. John's not one of the synoptics. It stands alone. It's a unique gospel. I would argue his presentation of the incarnation is, is, if I could use this phrase, more theological. So... His purpose is not to prove the genealogy. John says, here is who the Christ is. And there are three sections that I read from 1 through 18. I'm not going to touch on all three because it's just too much. I want to touch on the first section, which is 1 through 5. But you'll see how it breaks out. I want to say 1 through 5 speaks on the deity of Jesus. So remember, uh, when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we want to know who is this Jesus that we're looking at. And then verse 1 through 5 will say, well, he's God. And then the, I think 13 through, I forget what verse, it's, the, it's the, the witness of Jesus by John the Baptist. And not only the witness of Jesus, if you look at 10 through 13, it's the reception of Jesus. Just by hearing the name Jesus, it's not like a magic formula. It's, you remember the guys was in the book of Acts? They're, they're, they're practicing exorcism. And they think that the name Jesus is a magic word, like a magic, people pray like this, in the name of Jesus, and they think, well, I'm gonna get a Mercedes, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna have muscles and ripped in the name of Jesus. It doesn't work like that. The name of Jesus isn't a magic formula. And the guy said, in the name of Jesus, we cast these demons out, and the demons actually spoke back to them. And what did they say? Oh, we know Jesus, and we know Paul who preaches Jesus, but we don't know you, and you're fixing to take a beating. So when we're talking about Jesus, it's not magic formula, and we have to receive him. As many as believed in his name, the real Jesus, we have a right to be called what? Sons and daughters of God. Apart from Jesus, God does not call us his sons. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, God does not call us his daughters. I know this is a mind blower. But there are only two places I know. One I'm thinking of in Acts chapter 17, where God as creator speaks to human beings as creations, father to children. Only one. God is father, creator. We are children, creatures. But ordinarily, the overwhelming number of times you have father, God, children, is only believer. The Lord's Prayer, our father, only believer. So the people that can be called sons and daughters are God are those people who say, I believe in Christ. He's my only hope in life and death. He has purchased me with his precious blood. That's the Christ I believe in. Then you're a child of God through faith in this Christ. So this is the witness of Christ, and then you have the reception of Jesus. And the last section, 14 through 18, is the humanity of Christ. This is the fleshliness that Christ takes to himself flesh. And this is against, there were groups called Gnostics, and they said all flesh is bad and inherently evil and only the spirit is good and the body, the flesh bad is basically a prison and God the Holy Spirit is very specific it says oh that's not true God made human beings good and very good body and soul good and very good so flesh is not inherently sinful it, it is after the fall because of original sin but Christ doesn't have original sin so God the Holy Spirit is quick to put I would say maybe a finger in their eyes saying narcissism is not true God has come in the flesh, sarks. It's directly against Gnosticism and that Christ has come in the flesh. And that's how we can, how can we see God? I know people say, well, I want a a picture of God. I want a painting of God. How do we see God when we look at Christ? By faith in the word. I want to spend whatever time we have, I don't know, 10 more minutes, looking at the deity of Christ especially in verses one through five the deity of Christ especially. And this, I think, in the times in which we live, I think this is especially important to consider that first section. Um, When we look at Jesus, um, he has subsequent his his birth, which is his incarnation, he has two natures in one person. A lot of what we're going to look at this morning, we can say, well, that's what the Bible does say, but I don't... fully understand it I I can't fully reconcile it yes me too Um, and we could live to as old as Methuselah but we are on we are on holy ground when we are looking at the incarnation of God who is the second person of the Godhead Christ which brings in the mystery of the Trinity it's true how do we fully understand that? I don't think until we go to heaven we do but the revealed things belong to us and the hidden the, the hidden things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us and to our children. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. So we want to be good brains. What the Bible says about Christ, we want to believe. And if someone says, well, can you explain perfectly the Trinity? Your response should be back to them. Could you explain perfectly how your combustion engine works? And if you can't, you can't drive it. Can you explain perfectly how electricity works? And if you can't explain it, you can't use it. Well, no, I don't understand. Ah, so we can't believe in the two natures of, of the God-man? We can't believe in the truthfulness of the Trinity unless we explain it for a fallen, biased man to explain? And you believe tons of stuff that you can't explain, and there's no irreconcilableness irre- 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 to that? You see what I'm getting at? So we're looking at something which is stated, it's true, but it's beyond our full comprehension. Let's look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Some of the ways that God reveals himself to us, obviously in nature, he reveals himself as a creator to creatures, but in Scripture, he's revealing himself as a savior to sinners, primarily, and as a father to his children. And we learn about who God is and what we're to believe about him by the by certain words, uh, we believe in what's called plenary inspiration, that the whole Bible is inspired. Every word is, is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And it's self-revelation, which is why I'm not keen to call God like, I don't know, the Grant, what do more um, Masons call him? I don't know, the great architect. I don't like using terms for God that God himself does not use for himself. I don't like to use made-up terms um, that he doesn't use for himself that are not either stated or implied. Because the the word Trinity is not stated, but it is implied. Um, Now, regarding discovering the divinity that Christ is God, right away we're going to see, well, God is going to ascribe divine attributes uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when someone says, well, I don't think Jesus is God, the Bible's going to come along here, John 1, 1, right out of the gate, and say, well, you're wrong. (laughs) God says Jesus is God. Jesus now is being called a divine name he's being called the uh, word of God I think the Greek um, word for word is um, logos and some believe that Jesus is here referred to uh, the word of God or the logos of God or the logic of God Uh, there's one man I know that refers to it as the logic of God because Jesus God in the flesh is the revelation of God To man, or to put it more precisely, he reveals God's will for our salvation. That's why he's the Word. I think, um, what is it, the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 8? I believe this is a reference to Jesus, which would get us at why he's being called the Word. Proverbs 8 20. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasures. This is not just earthly wisdom. We're going to get at pictures of Christ. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. This is wisdom. This is a personification of wisdom. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the field, nor the fine dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, I was there. That's wisdom. And wisdom is being personified, and it's a prophecy depicting who this Christ will be. Christ is that eternal word, logos, wisdom of God. Christ is the one, as a prophet. And what do prophets do? Uh, well, if I were to ask you, what do priests do and what do prophets do? This is why in a Protestant church, in a, I think if it's consistent, they don't have altars. In Protestant churches, they have pulpits. We preach the priest. I'm not a priest. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a preacher. And I preach the priest. So a priest represents man back to God. And a prophet represents God to man. And the prophet speaks the word of God for man's salvation to man. That's why Christ is being called the word. You remember in um, Peter's Gospel, I think the first one, it's only two, chapter one, he says, the Old Testament prophets were filled with the Spirit of Christ, and they were preaching about the Christ who was to come for our salvation, both his sufferings and his glories. And so when you're saying, well, why would Jesus be called the Word of God, the wisdom of God, God's will for our salvation? Christ is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies, um, regarding our salvation as I mentioned in the beginning the seed of the woman the seed of Abraham all of those things but when you look at the birth of Jesus I'm, tonight I mean, if you come out tonight I'll be here I, it might be just my wife uh, with me but I'm going to preach through Micah chapter 5 where was Jesus born? Bethlehem God through Micah says he's going to be born in Bethlehem what kind of animal was Jesus riding on when he came in in the triumphal entry what kind of animal? a donkey a donkey the cult of a donkey, Zechariah. So all of these wonderful things. And it, I will not allow my, my Holy One to suffer decay, Psalm 16. What does he cry on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. All of the, you, you, can, you can't say, well, oh, this is just written by a bunch of guys. A bunch of guys? And they're all saying Christ is coming. And this is what he's going to come for. And Jesus, remember, he comes into the, 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 uh, the temple and they start up the synagogue, uh, Luke 4. And he opens up Isaiah, I think 61, and he starts to preach. He's the hometown boy. And they go, wow, what great preaching. And he says, so God will send his Savior to set the, the captive free. And they're like, oh, they're such a great preacher. We love him. And then he says, you know what? God actually wanted to save a, a, a widow, a Gentile widow, And then God actually was merciful to a Gentile uh, named Naaman in Syria. And what did the people do? We got to kill this guy. (laughs) And Jesus says, that's who I'm coming to save. From every tribe, tongue, people, that's why I've come. And they're all fulfilled in Jesus. That's why Jesus is being called the Word, because he is the fulfillment of the prophetic Word about himself. We've said many times before, the Bible has lots of subjects on lots of things, and we want to have God's mind on it. But we don't want to miss the main message. If you, you see, people do this all. So let's fight about church government. Let's fight about what the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper actually means. How come the pastor doesn't wear a fancy robe? Why don't we have kneelers? Let's fight about that. This is ridiculous, in my view. <laughs> the Bible is I'm sending my son. He's going to be the sinless Savior. He's going to the cross. He's going to rise. This is the main message. And Jesus on Luke 24 tells the guys, I am it, here I am. That's why he's the word. So when we come here, it says in the beginning was the word. Christ is that word. And now he's being called, look at John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And what's the next verse? So he has divine attributes. He's divine wisdom. And the word was with God and the word, look at that in your Bible. I promise I'm not making this up. In the word was God. So, I know baby Greek. I took three years of Greek, two years of Hebrew. Hebrew, oive. I mean, I know that's Yiddish, but by Hebrew, oive. But I know this much Greek. So, this is theos. This is God, God. We just went from He's logos, eternal logos, eternal wisdom of salvation in Him. Now, he He's eternal theos. So, clearly, it says it. Every once in a while, you meet people, and if you're a Christian and you met people like this, and perhaps you're not reading the Bible the way you should, and, it, and then when people come up to you and say, well, you know, um, I have six degrees from Hudson Fritz University, and I'm a scholar in such and so, and whenever I hear scholar, as far as Christian scholar, I usually scratch out scholar and write unbeliever next, to, I mean, not, I wouldn't do this out loud because it would be rude, but that's what I actually do, it's literally like, you're going you're gonna to try to talk me out of my faith. So clang the doors are coming down. You're not talking anybody out of their faith. So the scholars will come along. Well, the scholars say that Jesus of the Gospels is way different than the Jesus of the Pauline epistles. You ever heard this? Jesus we love. Paul's Jesus is off the charts. Paul's Jesus is not the Jesus of the Gospels. So say scholars. You know what the problem is? The scholars are unbelievers, and the Bible says a veil lies over their mind and their heart. Second Corinthians chapter three. They may be geniuses and other stuff, but they're blind, deaf, and dumb, and they're biased against God and Christ. They're not going to get it right. I'm not picking on them. So when they say, the Jesus of the Gospels is just a really swell teacher. He walked around telling people to be nice because he's nice, and God wants people to be nice. That's the Jesus of the Gospels. Paul comes along and says, don't believe the Jesus of the Gospels. Believe in my special Jesus, who's the God-man. 1 Timothy chapter 2 only mediator between God and man, the God-man. And they'll say, see, Paul got hit in the head with a brick when he fell off the horse and he just made up his own special Jesus. Beloved, if you're a Christian and you get backed up on your heels by that, I'm going to say something in love. Shame on you. (laughs) Shame on you. You should read. What did the old man tell me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And keep reading it until your eyeballs fall out and you get it under your belt. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So answer to them, hey, I I don't want to be a donkey to you, I don't want to be ugly, that's not true. Really? And what are you supposed to do? Pull out your Bible. You don't want to be a Bible thumper? Someone came to the other day, they killed that we had squirrels in the attic. And um, he, he came, and he's a Christian, and he says, well, Pastor, you don't want to be a Bible thumper. I said, pump the brakes. I'm a total Bible thumper. I I live to thump the Bible. I want to die thumping the Bible. I want to live according to the Bible. I want to thump it nicely, (laughs) gently. I want to thump it as a forgiven sin. You, You see what I'm saying? Don't try to take the sword out of me, out of my hand. If we're in a fight, can I have your sword? No, you can't have my sword. Why? Because this is the Word of God. I live on it. It's going to show me Jesus, it's going to show me how to go to heaven. Give me the sword. I'm not giving you the sword. I I want to love everybody, be kind and gentle and all that stuff. So don't let people talk you out of the Bible. Well, you don't want to just quote the Bible. Oh, yes, you do want to just quote the Bible. What did Jesus do when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? What did he do? He quoted the Bible. It's always a good idea to do what Jesus does. WWJD, just kidding, Reformed Church. (laughs) I know in a Reformed Church, I lose my stripes for that. So the Bible comes along and says, Jesus says he's theos. John 1, 1, right there. You remember doubting Thomas? He wasn't there at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead unless something happens. Unless Jesus presented himself right here and I could stick my hands in his side, then I'll believe. Now, God in the flesh, Jesus, condescended to that request. Jesus comes and says, here I am, Thomas. Go ahead. Stick your hands in my side. Remember what Thomas said? This is another. This is another John's Gospel. So if someone says the Bible never says Jesus is God, they are wrong. John 1:1, Jesus is Theos. Doubting Thomas bows before the Lord Jesus Christ, act of worship. He calls Jesus Kurios, Lord, not just a form of respect. Why do I know that? Because he calls Jesus Theos. My Lord and my God. So Jesus has divine attributes, he has divine wisdom, he has divine names. In, in in the book of uh, John's Gospel, he uses um, for himself Jesus does other expressions of divine. This is the incarnation. So when we're talking about the incarnation, it's the it, it's the flesh taking of God. So I, I don't I don't want to speak down to anybody. Sometimes people use terms and they don't have any idea what they mean. When you say incarnation, do you know what that means? It means the flesh. taking taking of god it's the emmanuel god became flesh i have two sisters one of them is a unitarian so they believe that god the father is god but god this jesus is just a swell guy the holy spirit is a force that's what they believe and i love this person i love her madly but she's not a trinitarian and she said to me one time john it's like this i, I love my husband um, and like I, I love jesus i don't worship my husband i don't worship jesus Well, here's the problem. Your husband's not God. (laughs) Jesus is God. And so she said, so you worship Jesus? Oh, yeah, as much as I can. I worship the Father. I worship the Son. I worship the Holy Spirit. Because all three are the same same in substance, equal in power and glory. Can we understand that? No. Fully. But does the Bible say it? Does the Bible say it? Does the Bible say Jesus is God? Yes. What are things that Jesus does in addition, well, I'm, I'm going to go too late, so I'm going to just summarize it. Jesus is then given aspects of eternality. He's being told he's the divine creator. This is a Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And that he's being told he is the light and the life, not just our physical life, not just, uh, not just making the physical life animate, but he's our spiritual life. Uh, John regularly says he is, he is our eternal life. Ba- back to what we said at the opening, All human beings, except in Christ, are conceived in in sin and were brought forth in um, sin and trespass. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. This is Romans 3, 10 through 18. We're all bad people. So I know people think, well, Pastor John, you have a low view of people. I don't, you know, I really do love people. (laughs) I want to have a Bible view of people. So apart from Jesus Christ, we're all scallywags. The Bible says it and experience proves it. And the wages of sin is what? Is death. So we need one that can take a scallywag and make us holy. And Jesus Christ takes us out of spiritual death. This is a Colossians 1.13. We have been transferred or translated from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. My wife was raised a Hindu and they worship uh, a, a guru and then one of their household false gods Saibab is not taking you to heaven. The false God is not taking you to heaven. All the other gods of all the other peoples, they're not cleansing of your, of your sin. They're not real. They're not God. God comes along in His Word and says, I have come, the second person of the Godhead, I have come, born to take human flesh, that I would take the sins of my people and die for them, so that us scalyweks could be cleansed of our sins. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Liars, fornicators, drunkards, homosexual offenders. I shared the gospel when I was a carpet cleaner many years ago with a girl who was living with another girl and gonna marry the other girl and she had a big sign in her living room telling me what her sin was. And I was cleaning her carpet and she said to me and the news was on and I had short hair and a uniform. She said, I bet you're a Republican. (laughs) I'm cleaning my carpet. I'm just like, I'll just try Lady, I'm just here to clean your dirty carpet. And she said, I bet you're a Christian. And I said, guilty as charged. And she said, well, you think I'm going to go to hell and you Christians are not loving. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I threw up a quick prayer. Holy Spirit, help me. Now, we don't want to pit our desire to love other people against our desire to love God and be faithful to his word. So even if your kiddo or your mom or your dad, they want you to believe something that God doesn't want you to believe, you say to them, mom, dad, I, son daughter I love you but I don't love you more than my Christ and, and, and you're wrong And I hope you know Jesus so there's a way to tell folks hey that's not the right way but you can do it in love and I quoted to this woman uh, 1 Corinthians 6 9-11 through 11, and liars fornicators homosexual offenders and she was a sharp girl and she says you know what and I was just a car- Christian carpet cleaner she said you know what that's everybody everybody's a liar everybody's this everybody's that and I said you know what That's exactly right. I was eight of those ten. I just wasn't the homosexual offender. I was the other scallywag. She said, I guess you're going to hell. I said, No, not anymore. Why? I believe in Jesus. (laughs) And she said, You're saying if I could believe in Jesus, in this incarnate one, I would be redeemed and on my way to heaven. That's exactly right. $50 for your carpet. May God bless you. And I (laughs) pray that you receive Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the whole message. There's tons of stuff that we can't understand, but there's tons of stuff we can understand. God sent his son in the world because he loves sinners to make us. His children. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.